All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Episode number 16 of Heart of the Order brought to you by ThoughtsFromTheBench.com. We have an interesting episode for you guys today. We're going to talk a little bit about the MLB Amateur Draft coming to you on June 3rd through the 5th. Uh, we're one-third of the way through the MLB season, so we're going to give out our one-third of the year awards. And we got a couple other topics that we're going to be talking about today. So stay tuned for another interesting episode of Heart of the Order brought to you by ThoughtsFromTheBench.com, your favorite baseball podcast. The win of the year for the Boston Red Sox. Smile, my, what a catch by Kermeyer. Number 600. Falling too fast to prepare for this. Tripping in the world could be dangerous. Everybody circling his vultures. Negative, nepotist. Everybody waiting for the fall of man. Everybody praying for the end of times. Everybody hoping they could be the one. I was born to run. I was born for this. Gentlemen, we are back with another episode of Heart of the Order. I'm here with my co-hosts Greg Malik and Dre Fry. Boys, how are we doing tonight on this gorgeous night in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? I love how you're calling it a gorgeous night when we've literally been going through storms for like but the last like, 24 hours. But so. like <laughs> since it since it stopped raining, it's been really really nice. That is very true. Credit yeah. to you for noticing uh, noticing what's going on outdoors, Mac. That says a lot about you. <laughs> the the I think it's like the post storm weather. I think is like perfect weather. Like it's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's like the perfect weather. Like post post storm weather is the best. And I mean, it just yeah, I don't know. You, you get you get lulled for a while by the storm, and then it's like perfect weather. I mean, that's just that's my feeling. Other than the mud all over the place and the wetness and all that stuff. Like yeah, it is what it is, but I mean, we went so, to we went to school at Slippery Rock, where you can go through four seasons in one day. So like, I think I'm like accustomed. That to is it. very true. I think I'm like accustomed <laughs> to it at this point. <laughs> 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 All right, guys, if you listened in to last week's episode, you probably realized about five minutes into the episode, maybe sooner, that we had a little bit of technical difficulties. To, so to start off episode 16 tonight, we just wanted to do a quick recap of last week's episode, in which we talked about a couple different things. Mainly, the main topic we talked about for nearly half the episode was 19-year-old Carter Stewart. He was the number eight overall pick by the Atlanta Braves in last year's draft. Decided to forego the minor leagues. um, Decided to forego signing a contract with the Braves. And signed a six-year, $7 million contract with the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks of the Japanese Pacific League. Which is basically one of the the best um, international leagues um, in the in the world, uh, I would assume, or not assume. Um, I know, and it, this is big. It sets a huge precedent um, for the future of baseball and amateurs and the draft. And so, Malik Dre, kind of break this down for me a little more more in depth. Let's go th- just a quick recap of this topic that we talked about last week. Uh, so to kind of just break it down a, a little bit more, and uh, I'm gonna have to try my hardest to essentially condense it a little because you were yeah, right it, on the last it's a week. Long, it's a yeah, long la- topic. <laughs> last week, last week was a very, very long topic. But, I apologize, uh, just, guys. I apologize. No, it's okay. It's okay. You you gave me you gave me the challenge to do it in ten minutes, and I was like, oh crap, I don't know if I can do this, but so we'll see. 
So uh, basically what happened is uh, Carter Stewart, who is a right-handed pitcher out of uh, out of Georgia uh, high school, uh, originally was drafted by the Atlanta Braves. Eighth overall last year, agreed to a $4.5 million signing bonus. Uh, when he went to the Braves for his physical, uh, the Braves noticed something wrong with his uh, forearm and uh, lowered the bonus amount to $2 million. Now, nothing wrong with that because the Braves were essentially trying to cover themselves due to an injury, and they decided to lower their amount. Uh, Stewart decided to forego it, and instead of going to college, he decided to go to junior college instead so he could reenter the pool. Uh, still put up pretty good junior college numbers, nothing dominating, but at the same time, though, uh, he wasn't projected to go nearly as high as he did last year. So instead of deciding to go through the draft process all over again where he would have gotten a lower bonus because it was projected that he get a lower bonus, he instead decided to go overseas. Uh, this is honestly just an unprecedented situation that we saw. Uh, it's something along the lines of where you know, you've seen more so like basketball players do something like this yeah. when they miss, you know, eligibility concerns. But in this case, Stewart is essentially kind of banking on himself by becoming the first major league, ba- by becoming the first amateur baseball player to go overseas and try to test the waters. He is making $7 million, but this is a over six-year span. And the interesting thing about it is that he is officially now going to be part of the posting system in baseball, uh, which means that as an international player, you have to spend six seasons in another professional league before you are eligible to be posted. Uh, this would essentially start the bidding process kind of similar to what we've seen with guys like Daisuke Matsuzaka and Hyunjin Ryu and uh, Shohei Otani and stuff like that. So I, it's a huge gamble on Stewart's part, but it's something that, you know, we are interested in seeing how it plays out because this could open up a whole new path to a lot of amateur baseball players who kind of thought, eh, we might not get the money that we think they deserve. And if I'm Major League Baseball, I'm very, very scared of this because this could essentially rewrite the entire system of the draft, which honestly, over the last couple of years, since they've tried to lower the spending, has definitely assisted in keeping costs down and not essentially inflating the prices where you were making more money than or getting higher bonuses than some Major League Baseball players. Yeah, and uh, it's funny. How'd I do on that? Uh, that that was that was. I was gonna say you have about five more minutes if you want to keep going. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dre, Dre, you can Dre, go. Dre, go Dre, you can go as well. Go, go, go. <laughs> All right. So, uh, I want to add. Uh, you talk about how this really you see this kind of thing happen in another sport in the NBA. It's funny that you say that just because of the fact that this literally just happened, where. Uh, one of the top recruits, he was top five recruit in the nation, RJ Hampton, went on to ESPN earlier this week and said, I'm foregoing college basketball because I want to go to the NBA. So he signed a one-year deal to go to play pro ball in Australia. And- yeah, but the, the interesting thing about that, though, Dre, is that this wasn't something where he was going to miss eligibility issues or anything like that. Like, he was actually – he had no problems in terms of eligibility. It was more so that he came out and just flat out said that – I think that going to Australia was a better idea for me to become pro. It's yeah. not like he was going through the, he had to go through like a post-grad school or anything like that. He had grades up or anything. It was just that I think this is the best option for me. And this is something that I think we're going to see more of. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. There's no doubt about that. I'm not, that is not where I'm heading with this. I'm in fact heading with the fact that Carter Stewart, I think made the best decision for himself because of the fact that he was once a top 10 pick, I believe pick eight, if I'm mm-hmm. mistaken. Yep, by the uh, Atlanta Braves. Unfor- mm-hmm. Unfortunately got injured, 
and try to re-enter, reestablish his, you know, his draft status is, you know, I'm still this top pitcher. I'm still one of the top pitchers in the draft. Ended up taking a step back in terms of the scouting process. So instead of him, you know, getting drafted that way and losing out on money, he signs that six-year, $7 million contract, you know, and he gets more money up front. And then he gets a chance to cash in a lot more because of the way the system is in Major League Baseball. My whole stance on this last week uh, was about the fact that I think this is going to become an issue in, with Major League Baseball in terms of how they collect the bargain come the, when the CBA is up here in a couple of years because they don't want to see they don't want to lose guys, you know, to uh, other leagues. They want to try and get guys like Carter Stewart and you know possible other. Uh, you know, amateur baseball players who want to, you know, cash in and want to make it to the, I guess, make it to the major leagues as quick as possible and still get paid an adequate salary. Six years, $7 million is for an amateur guy, people on the surface, especially in baseball, not seem, might not seem like a lot, but if you look at the major, if you look at how the minor league system set up, they get paid dirt dollars from mm-hmm. single A all the way up to triple A. Mm-hmm. And then when they make major league, the major league level, you know, they have three years league minimum and then they have a third party essentially determine their value based off of how his agent thinks is what he owed as opposed to what the team wants to pay him. So they have no real control over the future. So this is Carter Stewart, honestly, taking control of his future, cashing in on his value now because it's honestly higher now than what it would be even if he came in and dominated by the time he reached the agency, then he'd be able to make real dollars. Mm -hmm. But just the way the system is and the way it's all set up in terms of, you know, all the hurdles to get actual, you know, to get the big time dollars in a capitalist league, he's going to be able to cash in at age 25 if he develops. And the other thing that I want to tie in in terms of uh, RJ Hampton uh, and Carter Stewart, RJ Hampton is going to be playing against, you know, in my opinion, better men. competition. Men. He's going to be playing against men, men. where Carr Stewart is going to be doing the same thing because that is when widely recognized uh, over there. And all around the world, this league is widely recognized as the second most competitive uh, baseball league in the world behind Major League Baseball. So he'll have a chance to really you know, test his limits and establish himself over there. And if everything pans out, he can come over here and cash in. Do you, do you think it's do you think it's a, a little bit of a mixture of the talent that he'll be going up against and the the type of money that he'll receive by going overseas that is the big attraction for players in the future, or do you think it's just him wanting to make money right off the bat or kind of I think it's the big it, the financial decision is the bigger attraction. I think the attraction more so is the idea of not wanting to spend three years in minor league hell. Yeah. Honestly. Okay. Yeah. I think that I I think the the logic that, you know, going through the minor leagues for at three years at best because most high school players need need maybe four years at most, honestly, just because they're not an advanced level to get there yet. But it's kind of like one of those things where you live in, you know, you don't really necessarily have the best conditions. If you go overseas, you may be in a foreign country, but at least your conditions are somewhat better. And that's already been kind of showing his contract and showing the report that you know he will be in a much better you know living situation he actually has marketing opportunities while he's over there yeah so i don't necessarily believe that the financial impact is that much because 
yes, you are, as Dre has pointed out before, yes, you are making like five figures when you're in the minors. But at the same time, though, like that bonus that you make when you sign with a major league team, that's that's still like a, a guaranteed bonus amount that you're making. Yeah, that sets, you up. Something... that sets you up for a yeah. good amount of time. Right. Yeah. And so, right, if you're smart with your money, that, that mm-hmm. bonus should set you up very, very well. So I feel like the financial impact isn't necessarily that big. I think the financial impact will get will be interesting to see, like necessarily if Japanese teams start spending ridiculous amounts to try to lure people over, mm-hmm. because then we'll we can argue that we have a problem and Major League Baseball needs to find a solution. But at the same time, though, like you can't really justify paying high school players ridiculous sums of money when they are going to make they're going to wait four or five years before they make the majors, and you got to look at it as an investment. Yeah. Yeah. That's honestly like what this all is. Every single guy that's going to be drafted next week are investments. These aren't guys who are going to be instant impacts right away. They have to take time to develop. And I mean, you can argue whether or not it's better to stay in the minor league system and have the team kind of groom them and develop them the way that they want to, or if they want to go overseas and test their luck against better competition. But in the end, it's what your preference is. Um, I'm just worried about the financial impact from what it could do or Major League Baseball as a whole, to look at it and see salaries for these guys go really over the top. And I think yeah. that's something that's going to be the main problem looking forward. And this only this issue is only going to – I believe it would only occur with high school players. It's not going to occur with top college players, uh, whether the pitchers or hitters, because those guys tend to make it to the majors a lot faster. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in this particular case for Carter Stewart, I think the biggest thing with him uh, is the financial impact. Him losing out on – essentially what appears to be on the surface anywhere to three to three and a half million dollars because of the signing and signing bonuses. Uh, You know, he's not, he's not, he lost, he basically lost out on two years because of an injury. Uh, So for him to go over there, gets more money up front and it'll make more money over long term. Uh, So for me, I, I think with him, it's definitely financial, but in terms of potential other high school players, they would, they would either have to, A, just want to take the risk on bet on themselves and, and take that route, or B, be in kind of the same situation as him, where someone's drafted high, uh, you know, they decide to go back in and go back in the draft pool the following year, and they do improve their value. In fact, it drops so low to the point where that becomes more of a viable option as opposed to getting drafted and then going to the, trying to get, make it to the major leagues that way. All right. Well, guys, I do want to thank you for cramming that. I think it was 30, 35 minute conversation into 13 minutes to start off this episode. Thanks for that quick recap. (laughs) Um, In last week's episode, we also talked about how Josh Bell is absolutely crushing the ball for the Pittsburgh Pirates and a few other things. Which I'm, he's still doing it, by the way. He's still doing it, by the way, which, I, which I'm which i assuming we'll get to at some point um, throughout the course of this episode as we talk about a few different things. Um, so let's get into our episode 16 topics. Um, and rather than getting into our favorite moment of the week right off the bat, um, I think we should just keep it simple and jump right into more amateur baseball. And the MLB amateur draft is coming up in the near future, June 3rd and June 5th. And lucky for us here at Heart of the Order, we have our own resident MLB draft fanatic and Mr. Greg Malik. Malik, how excited are you for this three days of drafting coming up soon? Boys, I wish I could explain my excitement in words. <laughs> because, honestly, I can't. I feel like I feel like I kind of um, 
I, I really threw you guys off last week when I told you that. Yeah, we were, um, we were surprised. Major, yeah. Of the four major drafts in the Major League Baseball draft is actually favored. Yeah, I was um, legitimately shocked. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, you, you got to think, too. Like, when I record with Derek, when, when do we ever talk about baseball? I mean, even though he's a big baseball guy, it rarely gets brought huge, up that much. Huge so. baseball guy. Huge baseball he's guy. He's a huge baseball guy. That's very true. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, no, the Major League Baseball draft I always find so intriguing because, first off, it's 40 rounds. That's it used to be that 50. is not that is not exaggeration, folks. That Guys, is 100% like, before the CBA, before the new CBA, it used to be 50. So that that says a lot right there. Um, but uh, I love the fact that it's it's 40 rounds. It's three days. Uh, picks go super fast too. So it's not like it's not like the ML, NFL draft where you know you have to linger and stuff and you got to wait for picks to be made and all that bullshit. No, it's essentially like. They it's go like, super fast. A team makes it, and then you're just right on the next one, just zooms through. And it's actually a very quick pace. Um, for Major League Baseball, the reason I love it is because none of these guys will be instant impacts right away. These are all lottery tickets. They're guys that you hope get to the majors within three to four years and have a big impact on your team. And it's also one of the things that Dre and I have touched on this before, and it's something that I truly love. You cannot go into Major League Baseball draft and use need as a justification for drafting who you want. There's so much more strategy that goes into Major League Baseball draft. It's insane. You can yeah. look at the athlete. You can look at maybe depth of your minor league system. You can look at the financial impact because the financial impact is such a huge role in in the current draft system. And it's something that teams essentially have to build their entire draft plan around. It's something that I always find intriguing. And there's a lot of times where guys will be reaches compared to what you would think they go, but there's a reason for it because they are able to spread out their pool and they're able to get a very, very deep draft class that they try to sign. It's something that is a strategy that you can find crazy, you can find confusing, but it's something that I enjoy watching because I don't know, man. I just love baseball. And it's something that it's one of the few things, but it's the main thing about baseball I enjoy. Is the draft start? No, oh, that's that's nice. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say this about the draft. Uh, number one, you get to kind of get to see what's on the surface in terms of the stars of tomorrow. Uh, you know, my real first my real first experience with the draft was in 2007. It was actually it was actually the time where I almost completely 100 percent. Uh, renounced my fandom for the Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what this was. Mac, do yes. you? Mac, you're aware of this? No, I, I, I want to hear this. I, I do want to hear this. You're not aware. It was, it was the year. It was the year before Neil time. Huntington was hired, by the way. So oh, um, this says it all right here. Dre, go ahead. Yeah, this is. This is. So I guess it's. Wait, was is this the Mark Appel? Is this the Mark Appel story, or is that? No, that was. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. That was a couple of years. That was a couple of years down the road. That was, that was justified too, by the way. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. But okay, so this is Dave Littlefield's last year, and Dave Littlefield has had an absolute atrocious track record of drafting leading up to this point, except for two picks he absolutely nailed. Uh, one was Neil Walker in 2004, and then Andrew McCutcheon in 2005. Which I don't give him credit for Andrew McCutcheon, by the way. But go ahead. That's fine. <laughs> uh, you know, that's fine. But we're we're on 07. So this draft, my first real experience with the Major League Baseball draft, sitting there, I'm excited. We're at pick four. Uh, you know, Matt Weiders is there. He's a guy that you're talking about is going to be rumored to go to the Pirates. And, you know, he he's labeled as basically can't miss. He's the best catcher in the draft. 
you know, talent-wise, what he has, he's very good defensively. Uh, you know, offensively, he profiles to be a good player. And if you're a baseball fan, you know that he's had a solid career this far. When he was with the Orioles, he was awesome. So we go to this draft, and pick four happens. And we are sitting there at pick four, and Weeders is still on the board, and I'm freaking out. I can't believe it. I think it's going to happen. And then this douchebag. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. He takes Daniel Moscos, okay? And I wasn't mad about the pick. The left-handed pitcher, you know, and, you know, they said he had some stuff. And I was like, just, I was more like, what the hell? Like, why didn't you take Weeders? Like, I got to see why. Mac, I swear. I swear to you his exact words. And I almost 100% renounced my fandom until he got fired. And I was satisfied and I was ready for a new regime. He said about Daniel Moscos, we drafted, and I quote, we drafted Daniel Moscos to be the closer of the future. Dude, I damn near. I damn near just completely renounced my fandom because why? In, <laughs> yeah, why, why? Why in the world are you taking a pitcher that's going to be a closer for you? A pick four. You draft yeah. for talent. You don't draft for you. You draft for talent in the draft. Like you're not going to take somebody to essentially be a piece that you can find in free agency. Anybody can really close as long as you have the mentality. Like it, it, it's ninety percent mental, and then the rest of it's can you pitch? He might be able to pitch, but if he's not going to have any ability to develop into a, a, a starting pitcher in this league, if he's going to be used for a bullpen role, are you kidding me? At pick four, that was disgraceful. I swear to you. I was I, I didn't watch any games that year. Next time I got fired, and I was right back in. 2008, <laughs> they took Brad Lincoln. I wasn't mad because I was like, you know, new, new year, let's see what's up. No, 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 dude, 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 you're, you're backwards. 2006 was Brad Lincoln. Oh, oh, oh. Then the next year was Pedro Alvarez. That was the year. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so, and I, I was very happy about that, and that's when I knew for a fact that maybe this regime is going to do something just because of the fact that he was a Boris client and, you know, he was a guy, again, it was rumored, but what was going to happen? This is before the Major League Baseball rules kind of changed to Garrett Cole, and you've seen that, since Pedro Alvarez up until then, they weren't scared to take risks because of Garrett Cole, because of Josh Bell, and you know the rest is history. But yeah, that was that was one of the most one of the most infuriating days of my life as a Pirates fan. Right in the midst of this hundred of this twenty year losing streak, and that was like the that was that was the last drop. Like I I was so fed up with this team. Did you throw it was, anything? It was crazy. Did you throw Did anything? Throw Did you break anything? Yeah, I was. I'm gonna steer myself off a bridge. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Which one in Pittsburgh? <laughs> I don't know. There's three under. Let me pick one. That's why I asked. <laughs> I didn't know if you had like a certain one picked out. I didn't uh, know if you were like ready to run to the a certain one and just you know throw yourself off. <laughs> no, I, probably the closest one to be honest. Which at that point would have been a Banner Bridge, but okay. yeah, it's just it was it was crazy uh it was crazy it was stupid and like at that point like again just like wow why would you do that now it's back in baseball which is even more atrocious i think than the fact that he even was in baseball in the first place like how do you how do you hire someone back if he's gonna draft someone with a premium draft pick as the Clinton double closer of the future like, come on man. 
And Dre's rant of the week is brought to you by the MLB Amateur Draft coming to you on June 3rd through the 5th. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you both of you guys have kind of touched on it over the past couple minutes of just kind of the strategy based around the MLB draft and how you might want to draft for talent rather than need like you do in some other drafts. So It's all talent, all the time. Yeah, so, I mean, just kind of – Well, not, not all the time, but there's – signability plays a concern too, but the, that's a – different conversation <laughs> so i mean what what type of strategy you can, would you as a general manager or just as a fan with a love for the game and a love for the draft kind of what, what are you looking for in players you know that you would draft that you would like to see on your franchise team or your franchise well or team well the main problem that you run into first off is that every draft class is different so you have mm-hmm. to kind of you have to kind of look at what the strength of the class is so there there's honestly there's four main things that there's four categories of players that you're drafting for. You're drafting either college pitchers, high school pitchers, college bats, or high school bats. Every one of them has their strengths. Every one of them has their weakness. And it's something that you kind of have to play around with when you're Mm -hmm. going for college pitchers. They're much more advanced. They have their stuff more refined, but there's also a lot of innings on them. There's a lot of mileage on them. Mm -hmm. High school pitchers, they're, they have all the flashes that you need. They don't have the mileage on them, so you can get them in right away, develop a program with them. But there's the chance that they may not work out and they may not grow into their bodies. College hitters are an advanced field for the game. They have big hitting capabilities. They're usually the ones that a lot of premium uh, picks are placed on because of the fact that they're so advanced. But at the same time, though, they could also flame up from ideas of maybe not having durability. Uh, they may not adapt well from metal to wood bats. Then you have high school hitters. High school hitters are guys that look at projectability. You look at the stats they put up. You look at more of a tool kind of approach with it, where they may have the power or they may have the speed. But again, when you adapt them to pro baseball, it's the same thing. They may not get the strength that they need. They may not be able to develop as well as they can. So there's a lot of different um, there's a lot of different aspects of the game that um, kind of worries people. But for me. I would prefer going for advanced bats. So I'm a big fan of the college hitter type, mm-hmm. but then I'm also, but then I also lean towards the high school pitchers. And the reason that I lean towards high school pitchers is because is the mileage is the mileage issue. I've seen so many college pitchers that have flamed out because of the fact that guys, because of college managers, like using them so much as their Friday night starters, which is like their big, show in college and then they'll toss like 100 pitches a game and stuff like that to the point where you get them to the minor leagues and they barely are and they can't even play like two games in their first year because of the fact that they have to be shut down from just the amount of wear and tear they've done it's kind of one of those things that it's something that i'm not a big fan of meanwhile with high school pitchers you have certain traits that you can tinker with you know like uh you can see the big fastball and the big breaking ball and then work on a third pitch to try to figure out what works on you can do a slider or a change up um, and then with college hitters, college hitters is one of those things where you see how they handle in better, better and higher age competition. And they're usually the guys that can go through a little bit faster through your system because of the fact that if they're able to hit, it's a great thing. And I've talked to Dre about this before. I put more priority on hitting over fielding because yeah. I think it is much easier to teach a, to teach a great hit, to teach a good hitter how to field than it is for a good fielder to how they hit. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely yeah. agree with that. I think that's always been um, 
you know my look at it is that you know it's what my high school coach always preached like if you can if you can hit a ball if you can put it in play if you can drive runs in if you can do all of that and make contact they'll find a place for you in the field no matter what as you move up through the system like i mean josh bell i think is a perfect example he was what he was an outfielder and then they moved mm-hmm. him to first base and because they thought they you know they assumed that that would be the easiest way up through the system because he could hit the shit out of the ball and well, I that, and the way that is the wet and the way that his body would fill out too yeah. is that as he would gain strength he wouldn't be able to have you know the range and the speed to be an outfielder anymore. yeah and, and, then, and another thing i want to add to that specifically with josh bell is about the fact that not only did they not try to regulate his body and his growth in terms of don't put on too much weight they saw a position for him where there was no depth in the system in first base. Yeah. So they were able to take him, fill out his body the way it was supposed to, and then teach him how to play first base. Uh, because, again, he had a plus back coming out of college. Uh, you saw the frame there. High or, school. High school, sorry. I was definitely about to correct myself. Uh, but, <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> sure you were, Dre. <laughs> but, no, uh, he, had, he had all the tools to be a good hitter. Uh, he had the frame to be – this big player, but you didn't really necessarily know if he could stick in the outfield. If he was going to, he'd definitely be in right field. But the fact that when they drafted him, saw there was no depth in the system at right, they were, it made the move easier for them to put him at first base. I, I do want so I do want to ask you guys a, a question. So, with the the talent that comes out of high school that gets drafted directly out of high school, like is there Ever, I mean, I'm assuming that obviously the organizations do their due diligence with scouting um, players that they draft high coming directly out of high school. But is there is there any ever concern with the level of competition that they play at the high school level, like hitters facing weaker pitchers or you know pitchers absolutely dominate weaker competition at the plate? You know, do you guys know what I'm saying? Yeah, not yeah. That's not really a that's not really a concern mainly because a lot of the high school players that you're, that you're going to see get drafted very high are usually the ones that are kind of like on the circuit essentially. Okay. So yeah, they're like playing the a- against a- like AU stuff like that. Like AU and all that. And like the, yeah, yeah. exactly. So you're gonna, yeah. So you're going to see them go up against some pretty decent competition. But then the other thing too, is like with high school players, it's one of those things that like you're going to pay more attention to their physical traits more than anything. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be your five, it's going to be the five tools, you know, for a hitter, you're going to go see how strong their arm is. You're going to see how fast they are. You see how well of a glove they have, and then they can hit and make a hit for power. If it's a pitcher, you're going to look at how hard they throw the ball for your fastball, their curveball, mm-hmm. their slider, their changeup, and their control. So depending on the level of competition, that's not necessarily something I feel like they look towards. It's more so, what your physical traits are because if you have the physical traits then you can adjust to the mate to a mate a professional atmosphere and mm-hmm. then and then also to think about it too like guys who are drafted out of high school if they go probably like on day three these aren't necessarily guys that are probably going to sign right away because first off a you either can't afford them because they fell for signability concerns or b these are guys who probably weren't planning on going pro anyway, that they were more than likely going to go to college. And then you can find something that where they will fill out eventually. And, and needless to say too, there's a lot of guys who don't get drafted out of high school who develop in college and come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. One of the top prospects this year, Andrew Vaughn, he's a first baseman from Cal. He was freshman of the year in the Pac-12. He was never drafted. So his junior year, he's putting up really great power numbers for them. He's probably going to be a top five this year. 
Uh, yeah, and here's a perfect example in terms of uh, the high school, the high school player that essentially, in my opinion, was can't miss, and he was dubbed the LeBron James of high school or of high school. He's dubbed the LeBron James of baseball and Bryce Harper. When Bryce Harper came out, he was only 17 years old, but uh, you talk about the level of competition. Yeah, he was traveling, things like that. Dude, he was hitting like 530-foot bombs in the trough. And people are like, how this kid, this kid's just going to be, if he can do, if he has this kind of power, like imagine what he could do, you know, if he sees, you know, actual competition, like you see that and you salivate because you see that he's yeah. 17 years old hitting 530 foot bombs and batting practice. And it's like, no one should be able to do that, you know, but you, you see that and you fall in love with that same draft. You have Jameson Tyon who went number two and he's throwing 99 miles an hour with a big, Six foot six, two hundred twenty five pound frame, but you see, you see ninety nine mile an hour fastball. But the key again, high school pitcher, the key for him, which really helped him establish that draft status as number two, even out of high school, is the fact that he had probably one of the best graded secondary pitches of all time in his curveball. I uh, you know that scouting's weird for Major League Baseball. They they grade on a twenty to eighty scale. Uh, where 80 is basically elite, all-star level, a potential to be better than that, and 20, you know, like, obviously needs a lot of work. And people, when you scout these people, you see anywhere, you see anybody fall in between, you know, 50 to 65, somewhere around there. So any anything above 65, like, that's, a, that's something that you really want. You know, if they have one of those tools, uh, like Craig said, like Malik said, you see one of his tools and you say, hey, he has this. What else does he need to work on? Joey Gallo is another player. When he was drafted, he had an 80-hit hole, and he was one of the highest graded, you know, uh, in terms of hitters coming out of his draft class. And when he was drafted, again, you see that. Now, anyone who sees these guys in Major League Baseball can see that the scouts aren't wrong. Like, And it's, it's not an exact science. But when you see tools like that, those are the guys I think that if you're going to draft, those are the guys you want to target. Those are the guys that you feel safest about because, like Malik said, don't hit on all these picks. Or it's it's there's no exact science upon this, but when you find a certain tool like that who has a master of craft, you know, in terms of whether it's hitting or you know the 99 mile hour fastball, uh, you got to take a shot. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, it, I mean, like you guys said in the the first segment, it's kind of like an investment. You gotta, you know, you know, put your money on the line and see see if it pays off. Um, yeah. Yeah. So by I mean, the way, one of the one of the best players of all time, Mike Trout, wasn't even drafted number one overall. So that tells you again how much of an exact science it really is. Yeah. He was number twenty seven, if I remember correctly. It's all about development. I feel like, um, as you know, as they come up through the system and things like that. So I mean, just kind of you know, staying on the draft topic, like who are some of the guy some of the players that our listeners should be looking for um in this year's draft. So this is a very interesting draft this year and um Drea Drea's probably um touched on this a little bit too. Um this is a very weak pitching class. Really really weak. Like to the point where this might be the first time that in a while that I don't think a pitcher will get taken until 7 or 8. 
Like it is, it, it's really bad. Um, yeah, it's, it's honestly, never like that either. Yeah, it's never like that. There's usually like one or there's usually like a, one college pitcher and one high school pitcher that are like the can't miss guys that will be like that scouts are salivating at. But in all honesty, like this is a very, very weak pitching group this year. The best, the best pitcher that a lot of people are talking about is Nick Lodolo, who was a former pirate pick only three years ago that decided not to sign and go to TCU. And even, and honestly, he's not even, I don't think he's really that great of a, that great of a camp miss prospect. I mean, he's a, he was a great, he's a good college pitcher, but there's nothing really that I would say is something that is, you would want him that badly with a top pick to be honest with you. But uh, in terms of the guys who are considered the top prospects this year, uh, the, the biggest prospect I've touched on him before Zadley Rutschman, a catcher from Oregon State. Um, this guy is everything that you want in a all-star catcher. He has great defense. He has a ridiculous hit tool. His arm is very, very strong. Um, he doesn't really have a lot of holes to his game right now. Uh, if the Baltimore Orioles take him number one overall, they will be very, very happy with it. And he actually could probably be up in the majors. Honestly, I'd say he could probably make it to the majors in two years. I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think, think so, pending so. health, I think I think he's that good. Mm-hmm. Um, along with the rest of uh, the rest of the five guys that I've mentioned, uh, Bobby Wood Jr., shortstop uh, out of um, uh, high school in Texas, uh, he's a potential five-tool player. Uh, his dad played in the majors as well. He's a legacy guy. Um, probably going to go number two to Kansas City. Although we there could be a lot of changes going on. I mentioned him earlier, Andrew Vaughn, first baseman from Cal. He went undrafted out of high school and he was Big Ten. He was a Pac-12 freshman of the year his first year in college, and he's been mashing the ball ever since. Uh, C.J. Abrams, a shortstop out of high school in Georgia. He is another potential five-tool player who I saw was graded with a 70 speed as a shortstop, which is very, very ridiculous for uh, a shortstop player and also has a very strong hit tool as well. So a lot of good things coming from there. Uh, you have J.J. Blade, uh, outfielder from uh, Vanderbilt, uh, another potential five-tool uh, outfield prospect, a uh, very good hit tool. Uh, I read that the Marlins brass, including uh, Derek Jeter and Jorge Posada, were scouting him at the SEC tournament. So that's a potential spot that you could see. And then uh, Riley Green, who is a uh, outfielder from uh, high school in California, another potential five-tool guy, very big. Very big uh, raw power potential from uh, the left side, which is uh, definitely something that you want to strive for. Um, could be another high pick going forward. I uh, can go from four to seven, depending on if guys decide to reach for signability concerns. But uh, uh, we shall see. Uh, the draft is definitely going to be interesting, and uh, I, I personally can't wait. Yeah, and uh, I just want to throw one more name out there because I don't think I could say anything better than that regarding the slide. Uh, one name... I think that's very intriguing is a uh, right-handed pitcher, Jackson Rutledge uh, from Texas, Juco. Uh, again, this is some things you got to look for in terms of scouting when you talk about young guys, but uh, he's six foot eight. So we got a, he's very tall. Yeah, uh, he's big boy, actually. Big, big man. He kind of reminds me of kind of like Dylan Batanzas when you talk about that kind of height, mm-hmm. but you know, with that kind of height and being a pitcher, uh, you expect him to add, you know, to fill out his frame and add some muscle and things like that. But already he's touching 98, 99 miles an hour. Uh, but his secondary pitch, I think, is very intriguing. It's a cutter and a cutter that he throws somewhere around 84, 83 miles an hour. So changing speeds like that with a cutter. And, boys, you've seen you've seen pitchers when they have a dominant cutter. Uh, it's 
it could be something. So, uh, you know, Mar- Mariano Rivera had the best night compared at the mound. Was just going to say there was just a guy, you know, unanimous Hall of Famer. That's all I'm saying. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. <laughs> but Jackson, <laughs> Jackson Rutledge is a guy that I think is very intriguing. That will be a name that I will be watching here come next week to see where he ends up. Sweet. I mean, it sounds like they're, you know, thank you guys for our, you know, our MLB draft experts here at Heart of the Order podcast. Um, it seems like it's going to be an exciting draft that, again, that takes place on June 3rd through the 5th. 40 rounds of excitement. Um, Matt, I don't mean to interrupt you. I want to throw one more name out there. All right, just go ahead, Drake. Like go ahead, Drake. because he's like a team. Go ahead. Go ahead. Jack Leiter. Al Leiter's son is getting drafted this year, so. Um, he ain't signing. I promise <laughs> you that. I don't think he is either. You know, he's projected at 25. And, you know, I remember watching Al Leiter pitch. Al Leiter, I thought, was really good back in the day. Uh, him pitching steroid air in New York. So, uh, you know, that's another intriguing name to see what happens. But, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah that, that, another name. that dude, that dude ain't signing. <laughs> I, yeah. I read, I read, I read stuff that he's asking for 4 million and, uh, he has a commitment to Vanderbilt. Uh, he is not worth 4 mil. There is yeah. no, no way he is worth 4 mil. That's a very good baseball program there. Probably one of the best, if not the best yeah. in baseball, always producing top end major league talent. So it wouldn't shock me to see him improve his value once he's at Vanderbilt. Quick, quick tangent, real quick. Speaking of, of baseball legacies and MLB legacies, did you guys see uh, Craig Biggio's son? I don't want to butcher his first name, but Kevin. 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 Hit his Cabin, first. Yeah. Hit his hit his first uh, MLB home run the other night. Yeah. Yeah, I did uh, see that. That was awesome. And then did you well, see? Well, did you see the reaction from Vlad Jr. and? Uh, even... Second baseman Garrell. Yeah, Garrell. Um, after he hit it, they like jumped on, jumped up on the field like right away. They were celebrating before he even like touched home plate. It was pretty cool to see, like seeing you know this core of Blue Jays youngsters kind of celebrating. It was, and it goes back to previous podcasts us touching on the arrival of Vlad Jr. Mm-hmm. and what this franchise should do. Uh, you know, it's that's those are the core guys that the Blue Jays fans are going to be watching for the next seven, eight, possibly 10 years, maybe even further than that. So to see how, you know, how excited Vlad Jr. and uh, Garrell were for Kevin Biggio, you know, that that's awesome. You know, that's the kind of camaraderie that you need to be excited for if you're a Blue Jays fan, because those are the core guys. Those are the guys you're going to be leaning on when you want to take this franchise out of the basement into the top of the AL East again, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, you know, I, I really like that, you know, let the kids play, you know, things like that. But you, watching the kids be excited about the kids playing, you know, it, it's touch it. It's nice. It's nice. It's cool. It's de- it definitely, it's definitely nice. And it was one, uh, it was one, one of my favorite moments from last week. And so speaking of favorite moments from last week, we'll get into our favorite segment of the week, favorite moments of the week. Do either of you guys have uh, a moment you want to start this segment off with? Uh, Malik, you can go ahead. Go ahead. Leave this <laughs> <laughs> silence. Just silence. Like, yeah, yeah. No, you go. You're great. No, you go. Oh, you go. Damn. No, no, We're you go. Here. You We're go. <laughs> I, I really wish it wasn't. I really wish I didn't go because I actually am struggling to pick up moments. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Go ahead, Dre. Go. Dre, go ahead. Go ahead. So my moment is actually uh, my moment's kind of sad, uh, but at the same time I thought it was a really cool stat just based off uh, who's on this list. So um, 
unfortunately one of the, uh, I guess, infamous, I, I don't want to say infamous, so that makes it sound bad, but uh, Bill Buckner passed away this week. And, you know, for those who don't know, uh, he, Bill Buckner is most famous for his unfortunate error in the World Series versus the Mets back in the late 80s, uh, you know, but you know, not everyone wants to talk about how good he is, you know, how good he was as a player. They always want to reflect on that negative. So my moment of the week is an extremely positive thing about the greatness of Bill Buckner. Uh, so Bill Buckner, okay, was a really good hitter, uh, you know, but again, everyone's talking about the error. So this is how good he really was, just to put it in perspective. Um, so there, I saw the stat on Twitter, and there is career gains with three more strikeouts. Uh, Adam Dunn leads that list with 173 career games with three strikeouts or more, which is, I think, an absolutely astounding stat in itself. I actually saw two guys tonight with three strikeouts in Mitch Haniger and Keon Broxton. The rest of those people on this list. Ichiro Suzuki has 22 who I think is one of the top three, if not top five greatest hitters, at least of my generation, Hands possibly down. of all time. Hands down. I'm just going to throw that out there. But, yes, Ichiro Suzuki has 22. We've had this Fernando, <laughs> Yes. Fernando Tatis Jr., rookie who just came up this year, he already has two games of three more strikeouts. Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn stats are absolutely they're, they're one of my favorite things. Another legend who passed, uh, you know, he has one career game with three or more strikeouts. And then I saw Bill Buckner at the bottom of the list with zero strikeouts. Zero career games with three or more strikeouts, less than Tony Gwynn. And if you haven't looked up Tony Gwynn's stats, you need to because some of his hitting stats and the crazy stats are out there regarding his career, absolutely ridiculous. But for him to be bested by Bill Buckner with zero career games of three or more strikeouts, I think is incredible. So I tip my cap to Bill Buckner and rest in peace, my friend. That really stinks that you passed away too soon. But hey, we will not just remember you for the air. We will remember you for the actual baseball player that you were. And you were a really good one. So Yeah, I mean, he, he, was, yeah. a, he was a guy with over 2,700 career hits. Um, he had a 289 batting average and I mean, he, he'll, you know, go down as one of the, one of the greatest players of all time. I would assume he's, you know, one, he was only a one-time all-star, won a batting title. Um, he suffered at the, you know, towards the end of his end of his life. He suffered from dementia. He died at 69. Um, but he, I mean, like you said, Dre, he was known for this error that he made in the night in game six of the 1986 world series. Um, and a lot of people, you know, blame him for basically the Red Sox losing the world series that year, even though, you know, they still held a lead in game seven and eventually gave it up. Um, but he, he, like you said, he's known for the error and a lot of people overlook just the, the type of career he had, um, at the plate and things like that. And it kind of, you know, it kind of stinks, but it kind of also shows you how some players careers are de- are literally defined by one moment on the biggest stage and it's kind of crazy to think about but it's also it's like fans remember just that one moment 
it's kind of it's kind of wild to think about i guess you could say yeah it definitely is and uh again uh we talk about the moment we talk about you know the stage and things like that people want to blame him for game you know losing the world series i think that's crazy mm-hmm. uh just like cubs fans try to blame steve bartman uh, meanwhile, you know, they had game seven and they lost that game too in, in, in the Mar- in uh, Marlins stadium. It just doesn't make sense how you can simply blame a guy for that when there's one more game to play and everyone wants to dwell on that moment and just say, hey, that's the reason why we lost. I think that's completely unfair and scapegoating some, someone who, in my opinion, doesn't deserve it because he went out, he, Bill Buckner went out there next game, uh, next game and you know, try to win for his team. Yeah. You know, he had to live with that for the rest of his life, and that really sucks. But, again, everyone wants to, you know, if you want to take, you know, his unfortunate death to kind of reflect on what kind of player he was, think of that stat because that stat, again, it, it, it it's incredible to never strike out three times in a game, and he played plenty of games over his career. I, you know, played – you know, 16, 17 years. I'm not exact. I'm not sure the exact number of years he played, but to never strike out three times. I mean, p- people do it all the time. Like I said, there was just two tonight that I saw do that. And I've seen plenty of that over my lifetime, but to have a player never do that. It's crazy. You know, that's, that's, yeah. that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Definitely is. I mean, and I, I'll, uh, I'll give uh, Malik a little more time to think about his favorite moment of the week. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, mine's a little lighthearted. I'm sure you guys saw it. It's uh, a few years ago. Um, Fifty Cent took the mound at um, for the, at the Mets. And he, I love how you open with that. <laughs> and he he literally, there's been some bad first pitches in the in the history of the MLB, but Fifty Cent literally had probably the worst of all time. He I think he missed the plate by like 10, 15 feet maybe to the left if i if i remember correctly and but, he's a righty by the way yeah and yeah. It, it was bad it was bad and 50 cents cents supposed to be like this gangster he's the, you know this like you would assume that he'd be able to at least get it close to home plate um and he's forever remembered as you know one of the greatest or one of the worst first pitches of all time but i'm scrolling down twitter the other night yesterday last night and i see this first pitch from the chicago white Sox game um, I'm not sure who the 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 f- female was that was throwing out the first pitch. I'm not I even. I believe she worked. I believe she worked for the. Uh, she worked for the organization. Okay. That's the. That's really all. Oh I know. God, that makes it even worse. Yeah. Then. <laughs> yeah, and then you you have the player behind the plate who's you know getting ready to catch the ball, and then there's this cameraman who is he's you know obviously taking a photo of the first pitch of the moment. It's probably like you know, two feet to the left of the mound, maybe, you know, 10 feet in front. And the female (laughs) hits the cameraman with the ball. (laughs) And it's something like, it's something like you really got to see. Like, if you haven't seen this guys yet, just go on Twitter, go on Google and search. You can probably search worst, worst first pitch of all time and watch it. And the cameraman is, like, taking a photo of the moment, and all of a sudden he just, like, probably sees the ball through his lens and is like, oh, shit, I got to get out of the way because <laughs> I'm getting hit with a fucking baseball. But uh, it fun, it just, just a, a lighthearted moment. I know last week, Mal, you had uh, Buster Holney running in the, the president's race at um, Nationals Park. Um, just another, another funny moment um, in the, the 2019 MLB season. 
I honestly want to see if that guy got the picture, and I just want to see the picture of the ball coming at him <laughs> like, from his perspective. Imagine, yeah. imagine being in that moment and just being like, oh, shit, the baseball is about to hit me. <laughs> oh, my God, Dre, I'm right there with you. I really hope he just accidentally tried to snap it like as it was coming for him. That'd be amazing. Yeah, it really would be. Train that, put it in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> All right, Malik, what do you got? Uh, so this is something that's probably going to piss off Dre, but I, I don't necessarily, um, I have issues sometimes with, uh, with the way certain people act about how they look at home runs, but oh, I, know you're, I know exactly where you're going. but, but my God, yesterday, even though it happened to my team, I was laughing so, so much at this. So. Derek Dietrich um, is probably on one of the best, one of his career home run paces that you've ever seen. I think he's at 16 right now or something like that. 17 right now. Yeah. He's at 17 right now. Yeah. And he, and he has been known and and Fangraphs has actually written an article about this, about where he has been trying to make baseball fun again, where he, when he hits a home run, he admires it. Yasiel Puig (laughs) goes back to back afterwards and instead of admiring the home run, he ran full sprint as if he was trying to beat out a ball that was going for an inside-the-park home run. I was crying laughing. It was, it was hilarious. And as, as many times as I, I can be really annoyed by them because I don't like the Reds, I don't like Dietrich, I don't like Yasiel Puig even. I've, I have never liked Yasiel Puig, but, but my God, it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's extremely funnier about this is that when Dietrich hit his home run, he took like thirty seconds to go around the bases. I know. That's like, what made that, it even better. That's <laughs> what makes it that's what makes that moment even better. And then a, Yasiel Puig did it in thirty did the whole field in thirty seconds. <laughs> it was it was a slow, slow jog and Yasiel Puig literally like sprinted. <laughs> yeah. And Dietrich only did it honestly, just and I believe this because there's bad blood there. You saw it happen earlier this year with Pirates regarding, you know, getting thrown at and him bat flipping and things like that in PNC and yada, yada, yada. Like, if you don't like it, don't give up the homer. But, you know, um, he created something that I didn't like and he drilled him right after. And it's just like, dude, like, I, I hate that more than anything. You know, like, uh, why, why are you being, why are you so offended? Like, don't give up the homers, like showing up the pitcher. Like, no, dude. Show up the batter, strike him out. Don't give up a homer. And then right. you don't get shown up. You have all the control now if you're the pitcher. Like, don't use the ball as a weapon to kind of get revenge. Like, don't police the game. Like, no, the game will police itself if you just do your damn job. Pretty much. Pretty much right there. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's just, it's, it's a conversation in baseball today that has become very popular um, over the course of this year. And it's, it's wild to see. Um, but we are a third of the way through the MLB baseball season, guys. Does it feel like it's we're 54 games deep into the season? It doesn't. But it's, no, it's it does start, not. It's, it's starting to feel like baseball is like fully in full swing because about the end of May and going to June, I think that's when you know you start to separate the contenders and pretenders. Yeah. And so being that we're a third of the way through the season – I feel like it's time that 
we pick our third of the way through the season awards. <laughs> what do you think, guys? <laughs> yeah. I'm here for it. I'm here for it, baby. All right. So for our third of the way through the season awards, we're going to go rookie of the year, most valuable player, Cy Young, and then manager of the year. Um, do any of you want to go first? Either of you want to go first? I'll go first. All right. All right. And then <laughs> so let's do – let's not do ALNL. Let's just do straight up. Like both leagues oh, included. Okay, okay, I like that. Just to that, make it go a little bit. That is very interesting. That is very interesting. It doesn't change my rookie pick. I will I say mean, that. I, I, I know who you're going to go with, Dre, already. <laughs> I'm going with my guy, Big P. Alonzo. <laughs> I'm there in New York Metropolitans. This guy has not slowed down Mash the baseball, and he is putting that team on the bat, on his back, and they really need it. You know, the NL East is very, very tough, as we have accurately documented. Right now, they're 500. Last week, I was very scared if, you know, if I'm a Mets fan, I was scared that they were going to, you know, just completely fall out and need to fire their manager. But, you know, I guess I guess he slowed down a little bit in terms of batting average. He's batting 250 now, you know, but in terms of, you know, what he's providing for the team, he's leading the team in homers with 17, has 39 RBIs as well. OPS of uh, 921, which is really good, I think, for his very first year. Uh, obviously, you want to see more in the batting average department, but if he's creating runs for this team, because, again, this team desperately needs them, uh, you know, that's enough for me. And him batting in a 2, 3, and 4 hole, they fluctuate him in the lineup. Uh, I can't think of any other player right now, uh, I guess in both leagues, I think that would deserve the award more than Alonzo. I mean, hands down. Hands down. He's incredible. He's fun to watch. Uh, and the baseballs he hits are <laughs> pretty astounding. Uh, again, he hit one, like, he hit one. It was an absolute moonshot of a uh, homer. Uh, versus the Braves a couple weeks back, and it went into like it went into the upper, upper, upper decks, uh, and then he also hit one against the Braves. It was like ten feet off the ground, but it went like four hundred and fifty feet from home plate. So like these aren't they're just they're the craziest, craziest homers I've ever seen. But that's how strong he is, you know. And that's how that's that's the kind of bat he has in terms of game changing power. You know, so if you can get anybody on base, he's always a threat to hit one. And right now, he's you know tops at NL and home runs with seventeen. So uh, again, rookie of the year right there. Um, do you the way through? Do you have anyone different for your rookie of the year, Malik? Because I I was gonna go with Pete Alonso as well. I'm gonna go someone a little different. I I I would agree, Pete Alonso is probably the favorite right now. But just as a guy that you shouldn't be sleeping on, too. How about Christian Walker? First That's a good one. For, That's a good one. First baseman for one. the Diamondbacks. Guy guy we all thought that probably needed to step up in order to take over the big shoes that Paul Goldschmidt had to fill. Mm-hmm. He's, been right, he's been doing a hell of a job for the D-backs, man. He is right now their biggest offensive contributor on that entire team. I believe he's hitting like 270-something. His power numbers are strong. I mean, Goldschmidt is also struggling right now in St. Louis. So to look at the way that Walker has kind of filled in there, and also has been a very stable presence in terms of defense there too. That's a very good get for someone that you may you might not have expected big things from, but needed to step up with uh, not having your franchise player anymore. Mm-hmm. I do want to I do want to throw uh, Michael Chavez's name into the uh, 
to the realm as well. Um, he's really been he's been a spark plug for the Sox. I'm gonna not go a with, bad pick, man. I'm gonna go with Pete Alonso still. Um, but I just yeah, I just wanted to throw his name into the mix there, and you know, let let it be known <laughs> that that he's oh. he's circling, he's circling. I also uh, throw an honorable mention to Chris Paddock. Yeah. For the, yep. Yep. For the Padres. That is a good. That is a good one as well. That is a good one as well. Um. So how about we move on to Cy Young next? Um. I think I'm gonna go. This he, one might. You go. Go ahead, Mal. Go ahead, Mal. This This one might be kind of a surprise, but I'm gonna go Hyun Jin Ryu. Uh, yeah. I I had either him or my other guy, but. Yeah, Hyunjin Ryu has really like stepped up for the Dodgers rotation this year. Uh, we didn't see Kershaw much to start off with. Uh, Walker Buehler is is being consistent. He's not dominating like we all expected to, and but but Ryu has just like really been a stable presence on that team so far. I believe he has a 192 ERA coming into coming into today. I think he's fourth best in WAR right now in terms of all pitchers behind guys like Matthew Boyd and Scherzer and I think Strasburg, I could be wrong though, but right now I, I lean towards Ryu. I think Scherzer and Strasburg are going to get underlooked because the nationals are struggling right now. I wouldn't be surprised if one of them makes a run just because of the fact that both of them are dominant and can be when called upon. Mm-hmm. Ryu is having a great season right now for the Dodgers being the being the ace of that rotation because of the fact that Kershaw hasn't played much this year to start off with. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking at stats right now. He's actually 10th and more uh, in all of major league baseball. He, he has whip of 0.83 and ERA of 1.65. Uh, oh, seven one. Yeah. Here's here's the, here's the kicker, the crazy kicker. He has 62 strikeouts and four walks. That's amazing. He's had a he's had a hell of a, a hell of a May. He's been. Yeah. I remember. Out. I remember when Kershaw had a goal of having more starts than walks in a year. Ryu is on that pace right now. It's crazy. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I like that pick a lot, actually. I'm not gonna lie there. I think that's a really good pick. Uh, that wasn't my pick, but uh, I Who's definitely pick? can say uh, I, I really like that. My pick. My pick is actually going to go to uh, another player who's on a team who I think is going to be a little bit underlooked uh, just because of the fact that he's on, again, not a winning team. And uh, I'm going to go with Lucas Giolato. Uh, you know, he got off to a very slow start uh, this year with the Chicago White Sox. But here's a guy that was counted. He was, he was, uh, once a top prospect in major league baseball, actually he was the top baseball major league prospect in baseball at the time that he was traded to the white Sox. He was traded for Adam Eaton. He was the key piece of that deal. And he was the real start of their rebuild. Uh, and here's a guy that struggled a lot last year. And right now he's really found his groove seven to one right now. He's war up to his whip of 0.98 with an ERA of 2.85, uh, you know, I figured to bounce around between the leagues because I want NL with rookie. I'm going to go AL with my Cy Young pick. But I think Giolato uh, is really uh, stepped up for them. Uh, started every game. Uh, uh, actually, no, I think he was injured briefly. I think he started the year injured, uh, if I recall. But, again, when he came back, he was roughed up. But ever since he came back, he's been lights out, absolutely on fire. He's been everything that they needed in terms of an ace. And he's looking like every bit worth the gamble whenever you trade away a guy like Adam Eaton. 
uh, you know, and if you're the Nats, uh, you probably are kicking yourself because they could use him right now uh, because, again, he is only, what, year two, I believe this is. Uh, so, you know, they would have loved to have him in our rotation with Corbin uh, Scherzer and um, and Strasburg. But, yeah, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Giolotto here. I mean, I so I've kind of been, like, going back and forth between two guys. Um, while you guys have been kind of, you know, going over your picks and it's hard to ignore guys from the twins right now, just because of how well they're playing. Like I, did anyone see the twins where they are right now? Like as we like came, I said in the preview that don't sleep on the twins, man. You did? Just saying. I I don't remember that. I I thought, I thought that they would be behind them. Indians, but they are really ahead of not only the Indians, but everybody else. Spoiler alert, Rocco Baldelli's my manager of the year. Yes, you just took it out of my mouth. You just stole my thunder. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, all right. Well, well, that wasn't me this time. All right, well, that <laughs> – I still hate you for the Arya Stark, man. I still hate it. <laughs> I still hate it. Um, well, well, that being said, I'm going to go with Jake or, or Drizzy or – Order easy. Order easy. Sorry, guys. Um, I mean, he 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 has fifty eight innings, fifty eight point one innings, but he's only he's got a he's leading the league in ERA. He's got a point nine nine WHIP, seven and two on the mound. He's been crucial. He's only got twenty walks. Um, he's been crucial for the Twins, and I think he's just one of those guys along with Jose Barrios up there that have kind of you know solidified this team even though they have the biggest run differential in the league you still got to have a solid pitching staff and he's been one of the guys that kind of that has kind of led the way um i obviously think justin verlander is up there as well um he's right behind him in the era he's got a high war he's 2.9 war eight and two um this season and he's got close to 80 80 innings pitch which is huge um for an astros team that has a an offense that is almost like unbeatable at times. Um, so those are the two guys I was kind of going back and forth between. Um, it could be either one of them at this point, but who knows as the season carries on, we'll see. Um, well, can I, can I, uh, can I take a moment here to apologize? Yeah. Uh, to, to a specific Luis Castillo who I absolutely trashed in one of our previous episodes. Uh, my man is actually Bong. He's actually my honorable mention for Cy Young. Okay. And he has one of the nastiest sliders I've ever seen. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely want to say I was way off base on that today. Uh, you know, I said he was an ace, and he comes out here, and ever since game one has been dominating, and he doesn't look like he's going to slow down. So that's got to watch going forward. But, yeah, he would be my runner-up. So I just want to, again – Take this opportunity to give him his his dues. All right. Um. Are we are we kind of um decided on manager of the year, Dre, or do you have someone different than Rocco Baldelli? Uh, you know, Baldelli is the easier pick, uh, just because of how they've done. Uh, I really want to say, I really really want to go with the race. Uh, you know, Kevin Cash, but I'm not gonna do that uh-huh. they fell out. They, they fell out. Uh, so I'm actually not going to go with Baldelli, uh, just because this team has been absolutely crushed with injuries and 
start off slow and they somehow find a way to rally back and now they are at the top of the AL East and they're about to get all of their don't, guys back. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm going there, Boone. Oh, fuck Aaron Boone. <laughs> fuck Aaron Boone. <laughs> I have to, man. I absolutely have to. They've been on fire lately. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10, 19-11 at home, and 17-8 and eight on the road. Very slow start in April. Out here with a plus 74 run differential. And they, again, we can name all the guys that they don't have. You can all a team with the guys that they don't have. With everyone who's been injured. Guys like Dita Gregorius, who started off the year hurt. She's hurt last year going into this year, coming off Tommy John. Still don't have Judge. Still don't have Stanton. You know, but they've been carried by guys like, you know, uh, Herman, uh, Domingo Herman. And uh, Gary Sanchez, who's really found his groove again, is having a nice bounce back season power-wise, uh, kind of anchoring down that lineup. But, yeah, I got to give it to – for me, I got to give it to Aaron Boone just based off where they were at the beginning of the year to where they are now. All right. I'll give it to you, Dre. I'll give it to you. <laughs> you don't like it. You're so like upset it. about that. <laughs> I just what don't. I just don't. Again. I just don't like Aaron Boone. Like there, there are Yankees that I can respect, but Aaron Boone is not one of them. I do not like Aaron Boone. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um. All right. MV- MVP guys. MVP. Who you got? I'm going Belly. Yeah. It, it's gotta be. It's, it's gotta, gotta be, be, man. It's gotta be. Yeah. It, no one. No one saw this coming from him. Everyone saw how young he was, and he still had potential. But after last year. People kind of thought, oh, you know, like he's still lying in the weeds trying to figure stuff out. Guys, I thought that he would crash this month. He's not crashed at all. He's like still on pace after like the first week of the season when we saw him putting up ridiculous numbers. And Ellie is my MVP for the third of the season, man. He's insane. Dre? If... Honestly, if this team was doing better uh, than what they are now, I would probably go Josh Bell. Yeah. Uh, just because, uh, again, what he's doing, I think, is absolutely incredible uh, as well. That big bounce back season for him, uh, kind of establishing himself, you know, as well as one of the dominant hitters, one of the premium hitters. But he's second in the league in the National League in batting average. He's second or third in home runs, and he's Person RBIs, but the guy is right there. It's Cody Bellinger. And in terms of batting average, it is not even close. It's a whole 50 points. Yeah. If this guy actually has a chance to hit 400, to be the, tell me if I'm wrong here, I believe the second player ever to hit 400 in a single season with Ted Williams. Mm-hmm. I'll have to check that. But all I'm saying is that without a shadow of a doubt, it is definitely Cody Bellinger. But if I were to rank them in terms of MVPs, I go Belly. Bell, um, and yeah, uh, then Christian Yelich third. I mean, yeah, he's a guy that we're not going to talk about, but yeah, he deserves praise as well for the season he's having. I mean, yeah, I think it's the obvious choice if we're going both leagues. I think is Bellinger. Like, I mean, he's he's just he's doing everything that needs to be done to um, drive a team, but like when. I guess when I when I like to look at MV, when I like to look at the MVP votes, I like to think, all right, where would this team be without that certain person? If you know what I mean, like, so do you like, like, just to put it in perspective, would the Dodgers be where they were without Cody Bellinger? 
I don't think they'd be at the top of the NL East by as far as much as they are, but I still well, obviously they're in the West. 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 But, but, but I mean, like, do you think they'd be a first place team? Yes, but I don't think it would be by this much. I think it would be. Uh, what's their lead right now? I believe it is seven, yeah. seven point five. I think seven. Yes, yeah, seven and a half. I believe you're probably looking at closer to like three to four if he's there, because uh, the Dodgers are extremely talented all the way around. Uh, I don't see a weakness on that team, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that can slow them down right now is, you know, if they just like, it's themselves, either that or injury. You yeah. Know? Like whether they just can't hit all of a sudden, can't pitch all of a sudden, or they just get hurt. You know. But other than that. Uh, I, I just, I, I think they're that good. Uh, you know, they might even win the World Series and again, 54 games in, can't really make that, can't really make that, you know, call. But I mean, they're they look like the favorites, and the big reason why I believe is because of Cody Bellinger. Yeah, and I, I just kind of throwing that idea out there is kind of where I would give Josh Bell an edge because I mean, where do you think the Pirates would be without Josh Bell at this point? Like, I feel like he's been the guy that has driven the offense over the past month and a half, two months. Um, oh, yeah, they'd be screwed yeah, without him. They would be, they, with, with all the injuries they have, they would be absolutely just screwed. They, you know, I don't, they wouldn't be where they are right now. Um, so I'd like to throw Josh Bell in there. I also want to throw out um, Jorge Polanco of the Twins. It's not, That's another good one. It's not every, It's one. not every day you see a guy tied with Mike Trout in war. I mean, he literally, the stat it seems like it was literally invented for Mike Trout, and they're tied at 3.4 atop of the AL. Obviously, Cody Bellinger is up there in the stratosphere at 5.4 just because of the type of defense he's played over the course of this season as well. Um, but I think, you know, with every team that's on a run like the Twins, there's got there's a guy that's crucial to that, and he's playing a good shortstop for him, and he's performing well at the plate. So I do want to want to throw his name um out there as well jorge Polanco. um all right guys so we are third way into the season um that is all the time we have for tonight so thank you for joining us for another episode of heart of the order brought to you by thoughts from the bench and it's time for your second favorite favorite segment of the week um the shameless plug segment malik start with you as always. Shameless plug of the week. Obviously, check us out this Thursday on our Two Beers Deep episode from our new studio. New studio! Let's go! Hey, new studio. It will not be completely finished yet. The chairs that uh, our fearless leader ordered uh, will not be in until Friday, so we're going to be improvising a little bit. But, yeah, we're going to have a whole new setup this Thursday. So Woo. check us out on Facebook Live at 6 o'clock. So it'll be kind of fun. Ray money. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna shame this plug uh, my softball team here. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna shout out, you know, I'm gonna shout out my captain Dom Siciliano and then uh, you know the rest of the squad there, Banana Land is what we're called. Uh because we had a very, very, very bad start in terms of our season. Uh but we squeaked in the playoffs last night with a twenty nine Yes, you heard that correctly. 29 to 12 victory in beer league softball. And yeah, I don't care if it's beer league, you know, it's the only, it's the only real form of athletic ability that I take, I guess, seriously during the summer. So yeah, you know, going for a championship and, you know, uh, I would not want to play this right now because 
you know, a team going in with as many hits as we, as, as much hitting as we have right now, like, pretty dangerous. So uh, let's go banana land. <laughs> oh, my God. I have no words. <laughs> I don't have any words either. Um, all right, shameless plug time for me. I'm gonna throw it out to Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors in hopes Ooh, of them in hopes of them taking down the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals starting tomorrow, Thursday. We're recording this Wednesday night. Um, he's been said as being the best player in the NBA right now, um, over LeBron James, over Kevin Durant. So hopefully he can take down the best team of the past three or four years. Um, so I'm going to go Kawhi Leonard, shameless plug. Also, shameless plugs, um, take a look at ThoughtsFromTheBench.com where we are producing content, starting producing more content, video series. Um, we have a new – I don't even – never mind. I'm going to stop right there because I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it yet. Um, we got a bunch of content starting to come out, guys. Um, so t- stay tuned for at ThoughtsFromTheBench.com. Also, stay tuned for further episodes of Heart of the Order. Thanks for joining us for another episode, guys. Good night. You guys want to say night? We're going to the ship. What? We're going to the ship. What? I'm going to have nightmares now. Night, guys.